Walking the Dog is an amateur podcast devised, recorded, edited and produced by me, creation speaker Paul Taylor. I work for the Ministry of Creation Today in Pensacola, Florida, website creationtoday.org and I'm the co-presenter of the Creation Today show, though this podcast is produced privately from my personal website just6days.com. As an amateur effort, it doesn't have the same level of production as our ministry products. The podcast is called Walking the Dog because I record it while walking my dog Fraser, who is a Shetland sheepdog. This explains the background noises of birds, frogs and trains that you will hear, as well as barking. All opinions and views expressed in this podcast are my own. Hi there, welcome to Walking the Dog, episode 9. I'm out for a walk as usual with my dog Fraser. Fraser is a Shetland sheepdog and uh, he has a pedigree certificate. We've often wondered looking at him whether he is fully pedigree but he does have a pedigree certificate showing several generations of Shetland sheepdogs. That's usual when you get a pedigree dog like this. They give you those records so that you can be sure, legally at least, that you've got such an animal. Why do they do that? Well, it's because actually all dogs, all domestic dogs, or practically all domestic dogs, are the same species. Um, a couple of exceptions there on the edges, but uh, practically all of them are the same species. What's happened is they've been selectively bred uh, for particular characteristics. I mean, uh, Fraser being a Shetland sheepdog, being a Shelter, is very similar to a, a Collie, but it's obviously smaller, so it had been bred for uh, their herding, rounding up instincts, but they've also been bred for their size to make them somewhat smaller than many other sheepdogs, presumably because their environment in Shetland would have required to, uh, less space really and they needed a, a smaller breed of dog. So you have to have these pedigrees to show that they've got this long um, pedigree, long number of time, several generations, we're still, still having the same uh, characteristics. Because obviously if uh, there was a mating between a pedigree and uh, a pedigree of a completely different breed, he would get a mixed um, dog, which would probably be certainly a lot healthier. Uh, genetically, but uh, you wouldn't be able to sell because it wouldn't be part of the uh, wouldn't be part of the um, uh, the pedigree system. Uh, people wouldn't want to buy it for that reason. We had a look at um, an adoption uh, program on uh, on Saturday because we like the look of uh, dogs, and there were some beautiful puppies there. They were so cute, so sweet. But there was no way that anyone was going to be able to sell them for money. The reason why they wouldn't be able to sell them for money is because they were clearly a cross between Labradors and German Shepherds. One of the problems with pedigree dogs is that they have passed on mutations. Uh, When you've got uh, animals that are breeding within close relative groups, as you will have within pedigree breeds, is that the mutations are likely to be concentrated. Most people notice that their dogs have characteristics. I mean, in the case of Fraser, he seems to be pretty neurotic. I actually had to stop the recordings at that point. (laughs) Someone walked past me on the path, and Fraser gets very excited when he sees strangers, and... uh, 
very neurotic type of dog and really needs to calm down, but it's part of something that the, the breed tends to have. Other breeds, though, can have physical mutational problems. Uh, particularly small breeds, when they've been bred very small, quite often their bones may not work properly, they can be subject to um, hip joint problems, things of that nature. It's very tricky, very difficult, not very fair on the, on the dogs. But uh, that's the way it is. So, this is a sort of obviously an artificial, uh, artificial selection by, by people who wanted to select the animals for particular traits. But you can get similar selection processes in, uh, in the wild because of environment. You'll get mutations and you'll get uh, variations. And probably the entire dog kind has developed in such a way. On the ark, therefore, you would have had a pair of dog animals, probably something like a modern wolf, which is very genetically diverse. Uh, really, all the genetic material you require is still there inside wolves. They're very genetically diverse animals. And selective breeding, due to environmental factors, can produce a range of other animals, like uh, probably foxes. We're not quite sure if they're in the same kind or not. Certainly coyotes. Uh, and... Uh, uh, many types of wild dogs and things of that sort. I was going to say dingoes. It's an interesting one there because a lot of people think that these days that dingoes are probably descended from domestic dogs because they seem to be an indigenous species in Australia, but they're not marsupials and probably introduced therefore by some early settlers before the European and British settlers. Now, where am I going with all this? Why am I talking about this? Because I'm saying this because this is perfectly in accord with the Bible and what you would expect. You would expect to have kinds of animals and you get variations within those kinds uh, because you've got, you start with a, a very diverse genetic uh, uh, pool and all the variations that happen after that, either by geographical and environmental factors, new species developing, uh, or even breeds because uh, people have selectively bred. All those factors are reducing the pool of genetic information and not increasing it. So in other words, this is not evolution because none of this actually explains why the diversity of genetic information is there in the first place. When we come back, we'll discuss this a little bit further. Welcome back. We were talking before the, uh, the pause there about genetic diversity in, um, in, in animals as you get um, new species and artificially new breeds being produced. You need to start with a large quantity of genetic information, great diversity, and then there is selection. And that selection will reduce the available genetic information. It will not increase it. And this is a very important point, very significant point that uh, evolutionists forget because they think that's a model. Now, the reason why I've mentioned this is because this is what evolutionists point to. The atheist evolutionists in particular will say, well, look, you can see evolution in, in, uh, in action. You can see it happening. All we're saying then is it happened on a much bigger scale. But actually you don't see it, because what you're seeing there is perfectly what you would expect to find 
uh, if the Bible were true, which it is. This is what you expect to find, this uh, variation within the kind. But there is no explanation for how the genetic information got there in the first place. You see, information requires an information giver. To have a high level of information means that that information must have been put there to begin with. Because the information does not spontaneously arise by itself. A number of uh, examples have been used to try and suggest that it does. Richard Dawkins has come up with two which are fascinating. One uh, was uh, many, many years ago when he was giving a children's lecture on uh, the BBC. I passed around a Scrabble bag with lots of letters in it and got children to extract letters one at a time and uh, just looked at the adjacent letters. Eventually there were three children, one after the other, who extracted the letter C-A-T. So they said, there was information there, cats, information that can do something. The thing is, that's very disingenuous, because how can that information do anything? The information can only do anything because they share a common language and can understand that C-A-T means cat. If you've been trying to do that in front of an audience of Welsh speakers, uh, or some other language, uh, it would have meant nothing. In fact, if you'd been doing it in, fr uh, in front of an audience of Japanese speakers, it'd be even worse, because the symbols themselves would mean nothing. Not only the arrangements of the letters, but the symbols would mean nothing. That's because information is a lot more than he was giving it credit for. It's not simply the statistical aggregation of, of letters. You need a mechanism to actually understand the information. That, of course, is the same with DNA. It's disingenuous for evolutionary biologists to pretend otherwise. So the information in the DNA requires translation and understanding in order to be able to be of use in the body. But that system which will do the translating and will actually understand it and be able to make it work is itself consisting of information and has to be produced by information from the DNA. So it's uh, very much a vicious circle. Uh, the only real explanation, the so obvious scientific explanation, is that the information must have been put there in the first place at a higher level. Which is, as I said, what you would expect with the starting point that the Bible is true. So you see, as soon as you start talking about this information and you start looking at the, the types and kinds of animals, you see that evolution doesn't work. The adaptation of the kinds of animals is not an explanation of evolution. It is not an example of evolution. You do not see evolution happening in practice. Now here, I have to take issue with a couple of creationists because many creationists have in the past um, mistakenly, in my view, used the terms microevolution and macroevolution to try and explain these. Now they've explained the terms correctly, and what they do, they've said that macroevolution requires the increase in evolution. Microevolution is simply this adaptation uh, within the kind. That is correct, but really microevolution then should not be referred to as evolution because it's implying that it's a micro, a smaller version of the bigger type, which is precisely what the evolutionists are trying to say. We need to emphasize the scientific fact that they are nothing to do with each other. The two processes are, apart from one being real and the other being mythical, 
uh, the two processes, even if they did both happen, would not be related in any way. They're not the same thing. You can't sort of uh, get from one to the other by simply increasing the process because one is selection that reduces the genetic information. The other, the one that doesn't actually occur, is a supposed increase, spontaneous increase in genetic information, which does not happen. So it's, it's very important that we get that distinction right. So we would tend to refer to macroevolution as biological evolution, where we use the word evolution to imply this increase in information. Whereas what was referred to in the past as microevolution, we actually use a term that many secular biologists uh, would use, which is speciation. It is the development of species. Speciation does occur. Speciation does happen development of new species as a sideways or even a downward process in terms of information. Evolution is an upward process requiring the in spontaneous increase in information, a spontaneous increase which is simply not possible. Well there we go, that's a little bit of genetics lesson for you, hope your head's not spinning too much, and all that is to explain why my dog is neurotic, why I sometimes have to turn the recorder off if people go by or cars go by, while I stop him from barking and making a nuisance of himself. That was Walking the Dog, an amateur podcast on biblical issues. It can be found at the personal website of Paul Taylor, just6days.com. For details of products by Paul and other good products, visit creationtoday.org or creationstore.org.